Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. Hello, and welcome to the podcast today. Uh, we have Dr. Kevin Koo, Assistant Professor at Mayo Clinic and the D Digital Media Editor for the Journal of Endourology. Today, we're gonna to be talking about single-use technology, where it might fit in one's practice, and maybe some of the changes that have come down uh, through uh, billing and, and some of the um, uh, uh, marketing changes that have uh, happened around the use of these scopes. Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, your expertise is always welcome. You're delightful to talk with and uh, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you. I enjoy listening to this podcast. I'm glad to be part of it. So you are an endourologist and you uh, have uh, a lot of experience kind of uh, assessing and testing these single use um, kind of uh, market. Um, now that they've been out for a while, where do you see this fitting into your practice and where do you see them fitting into maybe uh, just generally speaking people's practices across the, the globe? Single-use technology is a really exciting frontier in endourology and in urology in general. I think as endourologists, you understand, and, and I certainly do as well, that the development of innovations, of technological novelty in our field, and our ability to improve minimally invasive procedures for our patients really drives the work that we do. So the introduction uh, now about five or six years ago of single-use endoscopes, particularly ureteroscopes and now cystoscopes, I think has added to our arsenal of tools we can use to provide patients the best care, the right care, the safest care, and the most productive care uh, wherever they may be. I have incorporated single-use devices, both cystoscopes and ureteroscopes, into my practice, but I've done so in a way that I think makes most sense for my institution, the patients I see, and the facilities where I'm seeing them. And I say that for a number of reasons. We know now that single-use devices are particularly useful in situations where a reusable device, that's our traditional digital or fiber optic endoscopes, where those devices might be more liable to sustain injury and damage. And we all know that maintaining a fleet of, of reusable devices, a lot of that cost uh, comes from not only the upfront cost of acquisition, but then the long-term maintenance cost every time those devices may sustain injury. And so single-use devices can serve as an important alternative and substitute for those devices, particularly in clinical situations where either because of patient factors, clinical factors, the surgical indication uh, might result in those reusable scopes uh, becoming more at risk of being damaged and thus sustaining costly repairs. So those are the types of, uh, of, of reasons and rationale that I think about when I'm deciding whether to transition partially or fully to a single-use uh, type of practice. And I think that would be helpful for uh, our colleagues and our listeners to think about as well. To kind of 
continue on that same vein, do you find that your organization, whether it be the two hospitals you work out of or the clinic, uh, the Mayo Clinic itself, are the organizations you work with, are they open to these discussions? And how do you kind of navigate through those waters of to have them wrap their arms around buying disposable uh, devices as opposed to capital equipment that's reusable and, and so on? That's a great question. I think when this technology first came to the market, a lot of organizations were uncertain. Certainly, we know that these devices do have a cost, and because they're single use, that cost is incurred with every procedure, with every patient, every time. And so if you are a medium or high volume practice using endoscopy, doing your reteroscopy, uh, cystoscopy in the clinic or the operating room setting, uh, then the cost of these devices can certainly add up. But I think that as organizations and hospitals have gotten more experience and have more understanding now of what the trade-offs are, I think a lot of administrators and supply chain managers are becoming open to not only understanding when these devices might be most beneficial to our practice and our patients, but they want and they desire the input from clinicians to understand how they can be best deployed. And the nice thing about single-use scopes is that it's not necessarily one-size-fit-all. So in our practice, a very high-volume tertiary center where we're seeing a lot of referral cases, uh, the, the need for devices that will perform well, that uh, can be used over and over, and that can be used in clinical uh, contexts that are particularly challenging. So I'm talking about the patients with um, reconstructed anatomy or with stricture disease, the patients who have large bilateral stone burden, uh, the patients who are going to require multiple procedures to treat them adequately. Those are the contexts in which single-use devices can be particularly cost-efficient to try to avoid the damage to our, uh, our reusable scopes um, and protect those scopes uh, uh, for more standard or less uh, complex type cases. But other colleagues of ours who work in our health system, who are out in the community, where the facilities may be lower volume, where their core personnel um, that are helping to reprocess their devices, who handle these devices, may be less familiar with some of the intricacies of our delicate ureteroscopes, um, and who may not necessarily have the experience and training uh, to help maintain that fleet as optimally as we would like. Those could be situations where a single-use device would be ideal, uh, where it's the plug-and-play technology, and uh, it's easy for folks who don't necessarily have a lot of experience or expertise with, with uh, delicate endoscopes to really unwrap the device, plug it right into its dedicated monitor, and off you go in the operating room. Um, and so in situations like that where you might not have the facilities or the personnel around you um, that have that expertise uh, that you need, um, or in situations where, let's say, um, getting access to all the things you need to put an endoscope together uh, and use it at the bedside may be tricky. So I'm thinking about in the middle of the night in the emergency room when you need to scope in a catheter or, or look in someone's bladder to retrieve a foreign object, right? We all know the difficulty of trying to, to get all those pieces together, the lighting, the irrigation tubing, um, all of those pieces. 
having a single use device that's ready to go that you can plug into its monitor and do that uh, procedure right at the bedside can really be a time saver and a cost saver as well. So I mentioned all of these contexts and these indications just to indicate to our listeners that I think our administrators and our managers are listening and they really need the input of clinicians and urologists to understand what it is our practices are, uh, what it is we need and how we can best serve our patients. For some of us that might be converting completely to a single use practice. For others like mine, it means having a balance, a hybrid type of implementation where we still maintain our fleet of disposable, uh, of uh, reusable devices, but we supplement that with single use devices when the context calls for it. At our institution, we kind of like you, we operate out of two private hospitals, then we have our university clinic. Uh, the hospitals, we've been using the single use ureteroscopes for quite a, a number of years. Um, but in the clinic, uh, we ran into a lot of um, sterilization problems and some of the equipment uh, was not being kept up uh, very well. And uh, we really needed to change something. And so we went to the, the administration and said, look, we, we know it's pain for every device. However, when you do the math and you look at some of the models, the financial models that have been run, uh, you know, with the, with the number of, of procedures that we do, we went right to single-use cystoscopes. It, it seems like such a waste. Um, you're in, you know, just a stent pull or just a simple hematuria workup. It really seems like a very big waste and a, and a significant uh, kind of detractor on the environment and, and those issues. But I tell you, like you said, we have a brand new scope, brand new vision, brand new flexibility. Everything is perfect out of the box and there's no infectious risk, uh, or at least it's mitigated significantly. But yeah, that, that's a, exactly the case that we went to and the reason we did it. So I think that's a great point. And, and I'm glad you're mentioning too the potential environmental cost because that's been part of this conversation for a while now. And what several papers have now shown, including ones in the Journal of Endourology, um, is that for ureteroscopes, the carbon footprint or environmental cost of production and shipping and disposal of the single-use device is relatively equivalent to a lot of high-volume practices that use this. Uh, they, uh, they use the reusable devices, where the maintenance of that, the reprocessing, and then certainly the uh, the, the repairs that involved special shipping to a, a, a repair facility, and then um, and then using those devices, uh, reprocessing those devices, that carbon cost has been estimated to about, be about equivalent. On the other hand, for single-use and reusable cystoscopes, the calculus may be different. And that's in particular because generally we get so many more uses out of a reusable cystoscope in our clinics and in our operating rooms before it requires a repair. If we're just doing diagnostic and surveillance cystoscopy, a stent pull here and there over and over again, and those cystoscopes are pretty durable. And so to use a single-use cystoscope in a high-volume cystoscopy practice uh, may not be uh, as environmentally sustainable. And in some cases, it really is quite a, a disparate uh, um, comparison. So that's another factor that I think practices should consider and think about the waste that they're generating and whether recycling is possible at those facilities. Sure. No, I agree 100%. So what... Uh, maybe you can talk to the um, audience about some of the new um, CMS changes and some of the billing uh, aspects for single-use scopes that might assist uh, both the payers and the urologists who utilize this technology. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Schwartz, uh, because many of our listeners may have heard about some changes that occurred just earlier this year, um, starting on January 1st of 2023. And this is related to CMS uh, payments for procedures using single-use endoscopes. So as many of our listeners may know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, uh, is the government agency and the organization uh, that has a lot of oversight and, and regulatory supervision about payment and reimbursement for our procedures. And there's a program called a transitional pass-through or TPT payment category that's been in place since the early 2000s. And TPT uh, is a status that was created to encourage the use of new innovations in medicine. So newly FDA-approved devices, drugs, and biologics are all potentially relevant to this program. The goal is to be able to encourage hospitals and clinicians to try and to implement these novel uh, devices and drugs uh, by providing a little bit extra reimbursement and payment to offset some of those costs. And the goal overall is to increase Medicare beneficiaries' access to these technologies and to enhance their diffusion throughout the market. Now, relevant to our discussion today, in, uh, in 2023, a new TPT payment category for single-use urinary tract endoscopes, which includes the single-use ureteroscopes and the single-use cystoscopes, um, this new TPT category applies. And uh, for, uh, for, for those of our listeners who are more technically oriented, this is uh, the, the specific category is C1747, which specifically describes a single-use or disposable endoscope used in the urinary tract um, with imaging and illumination, which, as we all know, is included as uh, as part of our single-use devices. So the way that the TPT program works is that really it's, it's very similar on the, the clinician side to how we uh, typically do our procedures and then submit our coding and our reimbursement for the procedures. But where the additional payment comes through is on the facility side. And so there's an additional payment um, that's made that is facility specific because it takes into account the hospital specific cost to charge ratio. Um, it takes into account the uh, specific CPT codes that are being applied for different procedures where the endoscopes are used. But essentially, the total payment to the facility uh, would include not only the procedural payment using the relevant CPT code, but an additional payment for the use of the device to help offset the cost of the device itself. And so this may be relevant to our listeners, not only because their facilities and their, their coding teams should know about uh, this code when they use these devices, but it's also relevant uh, to our listeners when they are thinking about decisions about whether to implement single-use devices, whether it might be uh, financially viable, and how they, alongside with their managers and administrators, decide how best to employ and deploy these novel devices uh, for the benefit of our patients. Looking back at, at history, um, what is the what is the natural history of these? Um, like pass-throughs and, and reimbursements, do they eventually go away after a, a time period or are they sustained for the life of the device? 
Yes, the, that's an important consideration here. TPT categories are not intended to go on in perpetuity. In fact, the TPT status is typically conferred for about two years and usually not longer than three years. It's intended to not only give physicians time to learn about these innovative products, how they perform in the real world, how they can be best used within their practices, but also CMS is collecting data during this period about how often these devices are used, how often they're paired with different types of CPT codes, and that information can be useful when CMS reevaluates payment categories, reevaluates procedural reimbursement, and decides how best it's going to to uh, continue to support uh, or not the use of certain types of, of innovative devices. So it's really a trial period that is intended to accelerate use of the technology, diffusion within our marketplace and our practices, with then so review of how it's going and then ultimately um, some more decisions that may come to permanent types of uh, uh, reimbursement categories. Wow, well said, Kevin. Uh, uh, Dr. Ku, I I, uh, I learned something there myself. So, so you know, we've gone in the ureteroscopy and, and endourology world, we've gone from large to small, we've gone from fiber optic to digital, uh, we've gone from uh, uh, multiple use uh, to single use. What do you foresee coming down the, 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 uh, the highway here for office procedures, operative theaters uh, in the uh, hospital setting in endourology. Uh, I, I know a lot of your uh, research and, and uh, a lot of your clinical research, it, it's, at least, has been around endoscopy and, and trends and devices and assessment of certain devices and how they perform. What, what do you see in the future? What, what's the next thing to come down for stone treatment as far as uh, uh, cameras, uh, devices, and video? Well, this is one of my favorite questions and favorite uh, topics because uh, I think this is what really drives our field. And for me, it's what gets me up in the morning to go to work and to think about how we can make endourological procedures and minimally invasive surgery even better for our patients, even more effective, less invasive, safer, uh, and, and more productive. And so the, the, the spirit of innovation that really was, um, was at the founding of our field of endourology, I think continues to be pervasive and compelling um, to all of us, regardless of where we are in our careers. As I look out at the landscape of what's coming down the line, uh, I'm excited about a few things. Uh, I'm excited about continued innovation in real time assessment and evaluation and decision-making in an intraoperative setting. And what I mean by that is we're now getting to the point where through machine learning and through artificial intelligence and technologies, and I know both of us have heard a lot about this in the, 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 the popular news media recently, but applied to uh, endourology and applied to, to surgical settings, I'm excited about the ability of technology to assist surgeons and proceduralists during surgery to make decisions, to stay out of trouble, and to recognize when things uh, are changing. So what I mean is while we're performing ureteroscopy and laser lithotripsy, for example, 
rather than have to guess or to estimate when the stone has been appropriately treated that we can safely remove fragments down our sheath or our your ureter, or we can safely, safely leave dusted pieces behind that we think will pass spontaneously. I'm looking forward now to real-time technology that can measure stone fragments and tell us what that's going to look like. I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to real-time estimates of how much more uh, time it might take to, uh, to break down a stone based on its volume and its composition and its response to the uh, settings that I'm currently using on my laser. I'm also looking forward to, uh, to that same AI technology being able to give me feedback. So as these procedures are recorded, for that AI to go back and review my uh, to, to review my cases and tell me where I was being efficient, where I perhaps could have been more efficient or should have changed to a different uh, laser setting perhaps or used a different uh, uh, scope um, and to provide feedback to not only me and but also for those of us who work in training settings to my trainees. We've all seen and been part of uh, uh, the, the you know the very core essence of, of training um, young endourologists, which is to give them feedback back after the cases to help them accumulate that, that experience and, and knowledge. But how much more effective could that be if we'd have the assistance of, of AI technology, of machine learning technology, being able to compile a particular trainee's uh, performance in different cases and say, this particular training does really well with scope handling, but needs to do better and be more efficient with with applying the laser to the stone, or this particular trainee uh, really uh, um, uh, you know, manipulated the 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 uh, lithotrite well for PCNL, but had some problems getting around to do the, the mapping at the end to pick out some of those residual pieces. I think that kind of both real time and post operative guidance for continued assessment and feedback uh, and improvement really, I think, will will lie at the heart of continued quality improvement and giving us information that we all need and, and perhaps want to have, uh, but hasn't thus far been, been available. I think harnessing AI technology, harnessing machine learning uh, and, and those processes really can help us be, become safer surgeons, uh, better, more efficient surgeons, and help to train the next generation as well. Wow, I'm excited for the future generation of uh, lucky recipients and the, the lucky uh, surgeons who get to use this. Um, I know a lot of that is already in development and I, I'm really eager to see it come to fruition. Well, Dr. Ku, I, I sincerely appreciate your expertise and your time. The topics today, I think were very, very relevant to uh, everyday practice. I look forward to seeing you and on behalf of the Endourology Society, the Journal of Endourology and Richard Wolf Corporation, I thank you very much for your time and expertise and we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to seeing you soon. On behalf of uh, Richard Wolf Medical, the Journal of Endourology and the Endourological Society, I thank you for listening today and hope you can tune into the next podcast.